0: to another episode of PCL OTR. And, uh, yeah, uh, this is a big one too. Uh, it's titled The Great Wave. I am not alone here to talk about this big episode. I've also got Jake from Pop Culture Leftovers. Welcome, Jake. Hey, thanks. What's up, guys? And we have Mr. Joe Stark from Starkcast Podcast. Welcome, Joe. Hey, stoked to be here. And Billy Blinks from The Reality Guys on YouTube. Welcome, Billy. Thanks, guys. Excited for episode four. I am too, man. Oh, my gosh. When I saw the title, when it popped up, The Great Wave, I was like, holy shit. Are we there? Are we, is this happening now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Time jump.
0: I think you know it's like one of those things. Like last episode, I brought up. Oh, we're probably going to be seeing like you know the fall of Numenor episode, uh, season three or season four. They are. Com- I feel like we're getting it much sooner after this one. They're definitely compressing the timelines here. Don't, wouldn't you agree, or am I, or or am I being a little? Am I not thinking oh, correctly? No, dude, they're
2: they are absolutely compressing the timeline on this and. I there, there's a part of me that wouldn't even be surprised if we had the actual big wave by the end of the season. I could see it too. I, I guess
1: I'm a little bit on the other side of it. I think it really more so is the the foreshadowing of it of it being out. I think, it, like you had said last week, Brian, I'm I'm leaning more towards it for doing the five season run, maybe season four. What it does do, though, it does again set the stakes and it keeps the momentum and it shows how serious and how sudden and urgent things are now and i think this episode did a really good job of keeping the momentum going while moving more things into place but i do like that it feels like the things that are happening now do actually have an effect on the end game and this isn't we're not meandering until we get a big event like that
0: I don't know, man. I guess I'm 50-50 on this one. Like, yes, it could go. I I think the furthest it could go is probably into season two. But I feel like maybe they want to wrap this season up with the fall of Numenor. And I feel like they've really compressed the timelines. And I felt like as soon as they introduced Isildur into this series and following him, he's a man. So, it's not like he has – even though he's one of the Dunedain, he doesn't have, like, the long life of, like, an elf or something like that. So, I was thinking – they, I mean, they might have compressed like a lot of history here. So I don't know, Billy. We'll see.
2: Yeah. I think mean, that may- it's up for debate. Yeah. Yeah. May- maybe it could be a season two thing because just thinking of some of the things from the books that are kind of key moments that would still need to happen. That That's a lot to happen in just four more episodes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very true. We'll see. I mean, it's up to the showrunners, though. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I do think there was a lot more things in this episode. That came out of the mouth of Halbrand that lead me to believe that this dude is Sauron. I'm telling you, and I can't wait to talk about that when we get uh, into the Galadriel storyline. But I think more things that Halbrand is saying really kind of makes me think that he is Sauron. And you know, we had a whole discussion on all the all uh, the all the things in Episode Three, Adar that that led me to believe that Halbrand is Sauron. I'm still a hundred percent. Planting that flag. How Brand is Soren? If you want to hear, like, what we talked about in the previous episode and what made me believe that, yeah, just go back and listen to that episode. But I feel like there's even more proof and evidence of just things that he said in this episode that lead me to believe that, yeah, this guy is, like, the big bad. This guy is Soren. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Numenorians are just – they continue – to piss off the Valar in this episode. Like, it is just, it, I don't know. It just blows me away. Uh, I would love, I wish we could see, like, the reaction of the Valar while all this kind of stuff is going on. like
1: there's what's
2: the reaction. <laughs> I'm, pretty sure they're, oh,
1: I'm pretty sure right now, Brian, they're filling up the bathtub. That's their reaction.
2: <laughs> I'm picturing that meme with the guy with his hands on his hips, shaking his head. <laughs> I just they're up there and they're like they're
0: looking down and like, oh, my God, look at that mob. Look, oh, can you hear what they're saying? Oh, my God. No, I mean, oh, my us. Uh, <laughs> I cannot believe that. Oh, my God. After all that we've given them, you know, and uh but. Yeah, man. There's a wave coming. I, I wish I was c Part of me was hoping that this episode would end with Sound Gardens, my wave out like that. That would have been so badass. <laughs> but we have a lot to talk about on this episode. It was directed by Wayne Chi Yip. And, um, oh, a couple of things that I did want to point out here real quick that every time I watch and I see Durin, I see just Zach Galifianakis. <laughs> i have not seen it until you say it but yeah i know what you mean <laughs> and then if you look at Farazon, i just see bill Hader as like one of his characters it
3: just <laughs> it is, that i can definitely see <laughs> that's really
0: funny <laughs> but man guys I, I listen i really just want to jump into this episode and break it down with you um first I, I, let me qu- ask this were you guys happy with the episode? Was this was this a was this a good episode? Joe, what did you think about uh the great wave?
2: This this show just keeps getting better and better because th- this episode has been my favorite so far. Um the just in general this this episode really blew me away. It had lots of really amazing action in it, like action scenes that, you know, really make you jump up and like, "Whoa, holy shit, I can't believe I just saw that on the screen." And this is in a television show um but then also this episode had so much heart in it um i i wa- i watched this one twice in the second time like it it like it made me tear up even harder than than the first one like there was so much heart in this uh in this episode of television that so far this is my favorite J- uh Jake Uh, This is probably my least favorite episode so far. Um, I did like it quite a
3: lot. I'm saying it's my least uh, is by no means means I didn't like it. But yeah, to me, it felt like a getting all the pieces in place episode. Um, I did enjoy the ending to this episode more than any of the other episodes. It was a nice feel good ending that still got me excited for the next episode. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, even though the Nori stuff was the the worst part of last week. I I think I missed it a little bit here. I, I would have liked to have seen a, a little bit of a flash to them. And yeah, I don't know. This, this just felt like the middle of a movie where you're waiting for that next big act to me.
0: Interesting. Okay. Billy, what'd you think?
1: I was a huge fan of the episode. Um, leaning more towards what Joe was saying. Obviously we always talk about every week about the visuals. The visuals are always stunning. The acting has improved. I think every week, Um, For me, though, what really hit me home is this was one of the first times really that I felt like in a way I was watching a Jackson film. I I hearkened to the scene with uh, Elrond and Durin, and when Elrond's talking about his father Mm -hmm. and wanting to live up to the expectations of his father. Mm -hmm. And I know we can all relate to that, whether it's a parent or a loved one or a friend, whatever, that feeling of wanting to live up and make them proud. And imagine Elrond, who's father was so great like he said he literally went to the undying lands and convinced the gods to go to war and then was made a star I mean and it, it was so human and you could see endure in space and it's like that's what I, my favorite part about fantasy is where you can find the human elements in it and not like the race human but like us as people and that's so this it hit me and we watched I said on my rewatches it hit me as well so I I was a huge fan I leave this episode feeling great.
0: Yeah, this is my se- – I think it's tied for my second favorite episode. My first epi- – my favorite was definitely the last one. But I think I got this tied with episode two. Um, And I really did enjoy a lot of what was sh- uh, kind of showcased in this episode. Let's jump into the uh, Aaron Deer story. So, Aaron Deer, last time we saw him, he was, you know, being taken to Adar. And we do – we get our first – Look at Adar, and um, Adar, before he has any conversation with Arundir, is looking after one of the orcs that Arendir attacked, and he has to perform a mercy killing on the Orc. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but you know, for such you know evil creatures that come from such darkness, and Adar, who's supposed to be, you know one of our main villains here that we've seen this season. He looks visibly sad having to do this, having to perform this mercy killing. And it goes back to, like, you know, some of the things that we talked about last episode with him being called father. He's acting as if he is a father to this orc that, you know, and he's going to be the one that has to put this orc out of his mercy. And, um, you know, for such evil creatures, I just did kind of notice that he did have a lot of, like, sympathy.
2: for. Absolutely. I I picked up on that, too. I think he even rolled a tear. And it it made me think of the last episode when Arondir had to cut down that tree, and before he did it, he laid his hand upon it mm-hmm. and spoke softly and then swung his blade. And it was it, it just mirrored that. And to see an elf to the thought of an elf doing that with a tree is you know, you don't bat an eye. Like, yeah, that's that sounds right with a Sylvan elf doing that. And to now see this some sort of dark fallen twisted elf creature that has such sympathy for beings of just pure evil. That I mean, it it just, it doesn't bode well for who this guy is.
3: I read after we recorded last episode, I read that the actor that plays a Ron deer improvised that moment where he put his hand on the tree and they actually wrote the line of dialogue after the fact for him to say,
0: Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah, um, so Adar starts to talk to Aaron Deere and he asks where he was born and he gives him the location and he, Adar asks, you know, is that near the river? And he's like, you know, he talks about how when he was young, he went by the river there and he remembers that it was covered with sage blossoms. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this guy seems to have, you know, seems like he's, been around some of these areas that elves inhabit this guy has to be like a dark elf this guy has to be a fallen elf it feels like he has you know he's unless he's just a very well traveled well spoken orc which i don't believe it's the case he looks too elvish um he he's uh, i think he is a very ancient and now a dark elf that has been corrupted by, uh, that had been corrupted by Morgoth.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking that he's, he's been around since the First Age and he fought in that first war with Morgoth.
3: Mm-hmm, yeah. Do you think yeah. at this point he's gone rogue for Morgoth or are they still working together?
0: Uh, I think right now he believes that, you know, Sauron is, is missing. So he's kind of taken up kind of like that um, leadership role. And he's, you know, he's he's doing his part to to perform this contingency plan that we know about of of constructing Mordor. Um, but first, the first 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 things first, they have to find that sword, which we'll get into later. So I, I think that he's 100 percent still on the side of of Morgoth and 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 like, you know, the construction of Mordor.
1: I agree. I I think we're going to come to find out. And it seems that there's going to be some sort of backstory with this elf, whether he became disenfranchised by the elves or he was looking into further power or something that they didn't agree with. And he's begun becomes like able to sympathize with the Morgoth side and that type of sympathies and maybe the necromancy and the stuff that we've talked about over the first three episodes in our coverage. So it definitely feels like there is more to the story and they're definitely lying the the kind of groundwork for him to be maybe a semi sympathetic character. I think
0: I, I agree with that. I, I um a lot of people are saying like, oh this is Sauron. Um I don't believe that he is Sauron. I think he's something closer to like a golem and what I mean by that is someone that's been that's been tortured and, and has 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 been corrupted. Because Gollum started off as Smeagol and, you know, became corrupted and evil. And I think that this guy has been tortured by Morgoth and then, uh, you know, kind of like broken down like some people do when they join a cult. And so that's – I do think that he was the first Elf. That was used to create the orcs, and that's why they call him father he's he's been around for a very long time, so I just I compare him more to Gollum than I would Sauron on at this point
2: that makes I, a lot I d- of sense yeah i I'd agree with that that he's far closer to that because he's he's clearly somebody who's, who's been deceived as well because he tells Arondir that that eventually he sees. Uh, he made it sound like he's chasing godhood, and well, he, it's he, like he, that's that's not something that's really possible. And so clearly he's been deceived, whether it's by Sauron yes. or Morgoth. But he's he's doing what he's doing, thinking that he's going to be made a god, and it's like no, probably not.
0: Well, he tells Arandir, he's like, you've been told many lies, and then he speaks about him like like you said, Joe, not being a god, not yet. And I think this is a, yeah, I think this is another misdirection of him being like this power hungry Sauron. But I also think that with him saying you've been told many lies, he's been on the side that Aaron Deere's been on before. Because he you know, I believe he was an elf and so he knows kind of like, you know, The way he was raised, he knows what it's like to be an elf. And he's telling him, you know, you've you've heard all these lies again, sounding like, you know, like a cultist, like now his eyes are open.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's the one that knows what the real score is. We want. Oh, go ahead. No, I was I was just
1: kind of thinking as you were saying that, right? too, another motivation could be like he maybe he was left for dead, abandoned by the elves. Uh, I could totally see that being something. And also another thing could be really interesting is I've seen a lot of the you know discourse, you know, even people from last week when they saw the kind of ending and going through theorizing. I didn't see anyone th- say this, but I would be really cool if this guy was maybe this guy is like a rival to Sauron, like someone who wants to be. The successor and like that could be really interesting as well if it's not just this clear oh we're all behind sauron and it, it could maybe be his own kind of claim to the throne as it were
0: yeah yeah i mean that definitely could be <laughs> that definitely could be this guy's motive at this point since sauron is kind of like i feel like sauron's in hiding right now so um yeah that's yeah that definitely could be one of his motives at this point um we wondered how in the world is Aaron Deere going to get out of, like, this prison camp? And <laughs> it's as easy as Adar letting him go and sending a message to the men in the watchtower of the Southlands. And that makes sense. Like, I was – because I felt like all hope was lost. Like, how is he going to – how is he going to get out of here? We saw how it ended last week so tragically with the death of the watch warden and Mador, and you know even human lives were lost. Uh, you know, so it was it it kind of made sense that the only way to kind of get our hero out of this was to let him go and have him send a message to the men in the south, uh, the men of the southlands.
3: Yeah, it would have been super silly for him to fight his way out after what we saw last episode. So yeah, it it was really good writing here.
1: I thought it was super badass. Honestly, I thought it was really cool and really confident and menacing of the character. I'll let you go. Not <laughs> worried about it. Go go, send a message. It, right. It's so sinister. It's awesome. I love it.
2: Yeah. And I loved that he found that like spearhead or, or whatever that thing was on the ground. And he was totally ready to to take this guy out, knowing that he's not going to survive it. And, and as soon as he gets that, you know, uh, the offer to take a message, he relaxes. And <laughs> you're right, though, dude. That was absolutely hopeless last week. How was he mm. going? How was he going to get out of there? Is like, is he going to be here all season?
0: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's like, could we wait for somebody to come and rescue him? And yeah, yeah, not happening. This this makes sense. Um, we jump to the Southlands. People are starving. They're low on rations, and you know they they're living day to day. And what, they had like a total of like 10 potatoes. It's like, oh my God, these people are just, these people are, are, are hurting for some fucking food. And Theo says, Hey, you know, we can go into the town during the day when the orcs are fewer and scrounge up more food. Bronwyn is like, no, you're not going. That's not happening. And, um, uh, well. You know what? Theo hasn't really been listening to anybody but Theo since we've met him. And Theo and his buddy go off anyway. And yeah, um, they get to the old town. Every living thing in the town is dead. We see sheep slaughtered, the cow decapitated. Every living thing is dead. So it's like they're making a run for like grain and whatever other things they can get. But I mean, it just it just looked like the orcs just went in there and just killed everything. They're like, yeah, if you come back, you're not getting cows. You're not getting sheep. They've killed them all. And they didn't even look like they had eaten from them. It just looked like they had slaughtered them.
2: Yeah, they just killed them and left them right where they died. I felt like they had enough food. Like they
0: cut back and like Roy is like pushing that wheelbarrow. They've got a lot of food, grain just stacked up in the wheelbarrow. I'm thinking, you're good to go. <laughs> Theo's like, no, I'm going to go into the tavern for more. <laughs> and so
3: scrape a little bit more grain off the floor. That'll, that'll put us over the top.
0: <laughs> so yeah, he goes into the tavern. He's, he's there. He unbeknownst to him, there is an orc in there. Oric starts to, to, you know, battle with him and Theo goes to pull out the sword. Did it start to pull the blood again? Did it start to pull blood or did it just fucking like ignite like it was like Kylo Ren's lightsaber?
1: I think it pulled some blood yeah. right from the wrist. I didn't
0: yeah. see
3: the blood. I just saw like the fog swirling around in the ignition.
0: It felt like, it, it felt like the, it, the, the hilt almost like cut him and like took some blood, right? I don't know. Well, I he had to
2: it. pull up his sleeve beforehand. And so okay. it, it, I don't know if it did draw a trickle of blood down from that mark that's on his forearm. Um, it was cool that it, it – I think it's going to be a, like a magic lightsaber type sword going forward. That's pretty wild. I love the the special effects that
0: they used on the sword, kind of, like, reforming itself. Fantastic. It looks great. Like, this is – you can definitely tell, like, the FX budget was not spared here. It looks
3: really good. Really good. Yeah, it looked fucking great. I cracked up when his buddy Rowan just got the hell out of Dodge immediately. Like, one cloud <laughs> went over – and Rowan's like, oh, I'm out. <laughs> he,
1: looked like, he looked like one of the, like the cousins from Ozark that friend <laughs> he took off. Like it didn't even look like they were from the same village.
2: <laughs> That's I, excellent. I know here he's like a bang in there in like the one cloud. <laughs> and he's just he's like later, buddy.
1: <laughs> I, have, I have another question. You know, and I'm not going to call this a, a plot hole. I'm being a little facetious here, but you know, this whole part about them needing a, a lot of food to survive. We do have our elf friend here. Can he not go get some lembas bread? Can he not just help the village out, go get a couple loaves? We'll all be okay. He hadn't
3: showed up yet at this point. Yeah. Where is he?
0: Like he's in he's in captivity. He's been taken as a prisoner of war.
1: No, I just even mean in general. He's got his 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 sweet girlfriend that he's pining over and stuff. He could definitely been helping out this poor village over time with some of that sweet lembas bread. I'm just he hasn't
0: been there since they had to relocate to the watchtower, Billy.
1: I know. I'm just having a little fun with it thinking of this. It's like made me think about like man, this the food thing has always been like an issue in Lord of the Rings and always was like a cool thing that I thought Tolkien thought of by having the Lembus bread kind of took a lot of that question out for it, especially even like later on when you talk about like salmon and frodo and that type of stuff. So it's so funny.
2: when was Lembus bread invented? exactly? Let's keep dissecting the joke. Oh somebody's got some, somebody'll know. Someone will know the first Man. time the
1: Limbus bread was baked in, in Tolkien's lore. That is
3: <laughs> They're condensing time. They've already got Limbus bread.
0: <laughs> this is three minutes of my life. I will never get back. <laughs> uh so yeah, this orc is aware that he has the the sword and yes, this is what they've been looking for. This is what they've been looking for. This is what Adar has had them looking for. We talked about it last week. We were like, you know, yes, they're do- they're digging out these tunnels and trenches, and they're they're slowly making their way. But they did say that they were looking for something as well. That's what the Watch Warden told Deer is that they're also looking for something. It's something that he picked up on, and they found it. So these orcs, the one of the-, the one orc sees it. Yells, I found it. And now it's like a race <laughs> to find Theo. These orcs are looking for Theo. Theo hides in a well. And I thought it was a very cool shot of like when they were looking up. Theo's down at the bottom of the well and the shot looking up and you can see the orc kind of like hovering over the well. And I, 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 I was like, I was very nervous for Theo here. I didn't feel like he was going to die, but I did feel like there was a good chance that they could catch him and maybe take the maybe take the sword away from him
2: yeah it felt like a high stakes moment it was making my pulse race also and um yeah i thought that well looked great all the the moss on the stones and everything you know there was like a big root growing in there and um and then when when he pops out also it, was, it reminded me of like an excellent speed run through metal gear solid <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 like just so good at avoiding detection
0: so he stays in there for probably hours until like, you know, he thinks things have died down. He gets out of the well, uh, tries to run away and, uh, thinks, I mean, he's got this confident smile on his face. He's like, I've made it and turns a corner and boom, there's an orc grabs him. And now this orc is getting ready to kill him. And who shows up? Aaron Deere shows up.
2: Armed to the teeth. Yeah, <laughs> and good and good thing too. How cool is that sword he was carrying?
0: Oh, it was dope. Yeah, I dug it. So he, Aaron Deer's showing up because he has no idea that the town's been evacuated. So he's going back to make sure that Bronwyn and Theo and the people of the town are safe. Correct.
2: That was yes. my thought. Yeah, Is that he must have been released somewhere near there, to where he stopped and and rearmed himself, and and then immediately went to that town. Yeah, as they're running
0: away from the orcs, and the music starts to play, and we're watching them being chased through like the forest. I it was very reminiscent of the Fellowship of the Rings for me at the very end of that movie, where they're running from the Urukai, and. It just it felt very much like that moment here to me, like the music running from all the orcs and like um, I guess I agree,
3: especially the way the arrows were fired and Mm -hmm. the the slow motion camera usage. Also, very similar to how they filmed
1: it in Fellowship. I I had that same feeling. Yeah, it's that it's that sense of overwhelming chaos. You as a sense almost to start to drown it out. There's just too much going on, and it's kind of the sense of their adrenaline and. It just really like they may not actually be hearing all the chaos around them. They're just so singularly focused in escaping. And again, just really awesome effect of, by taking away the sound and it actually almost like emphasized it. It was really cool.
2: Well, oh, yeah. that that sequence was amazing. I, and I loved it. It almost was like he heard that arrow coming in and he shoves Theo forward and then catches the arrow and spins and knocks it himself and fires it right back at the orc archer that was closest. Um, It's just so cool. It's is a very good use of slow motion. And also, I love the way that the light was slowly changing throughout that entire shot. From the beginning, when he catches Theo in the village, it's still dark. And as they're running through the woods, it's getting lighter and lighter and lighter. I'm glad that they have the
0: luxury of the sun against these orcs, because I mm -hmm. really feel like if this was like Urukai chasing after them, it would have been like game over. But... Thank goodness we're not at uruk yet, and they can still get away in that clearing where the sun was out.
1: I'm going to tell you what. I think going into this series, and at least after the first two episodes were reviewed on the premiere, I thought Aaron Deer was going to be the character I was least interested in. And I got to say, four episodes in, I'm really, really intrigued by where his character arc is going. I think that interaction that he had in the camp's, about, you know, you've been told many lies, I think he's really going, we're going to see kind of a little bit of a disillusionment with him and the elves and maybe everything he thought he grew up on not being exactly what he thought. And I'm now I'm super intrigued. And it's crazy how quickly that turned for me in four episodes.
0: I mean, well, look at Galadriel. She's kind of like, on her own doing, you know, things without the help of Gil-Galad. And, you know, she's like, She's like one elf trying to do what she feels like is the right thing. Yes, there is a vow to her brother, but I mean, and that's pushing her, but she's her, I think her eyes are pretty damn open to like what's going on here. And I think that that's the kind of character arc we need from Arendir by the time he gets to hopefully meet up with Galadriel. I think these two will be able to really connect. Hopefully I'm, I'm dying
3: to see these two characters meet. Yeah, Galadriel, meeting Galadriel could be the final push to get him there also, in, you know, as well.
0: And it's like, you know, if you think about like how long it took um, characters to meet in Game of Thrones, I mean, it could be the same way here. We might be thinking, oh, you know, they're going to meet by the end of the season. We this might not we don't know. This might be a season three thing before these two even meet. We just do not know. It's a Middle Earth is big.
3: That's a great point. It was like four seasons until Khaleesi met anybody. Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: We just don't know. Um, I feel I, like I oh, go ahead.
2: if I wonder if the if the people at the Watchtower are going to be a little friendlier to Aran now, the that he's rescued Theo and you know, is he going to are they are they still gonna be so outrightly hostile towards him like they were in that first episode? I
3: would guess not. I think they at this point, they would probably know that they need his help and his service. They understand the threat a little bit more. They can't afford to have the attitudes they had.
2: I have
0: it. They need need
2: somebody on their side that can catch arrows in midair.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just the way that they, you know, they they call them knife ears. And it's like, I don't know if you can change just years of like hatred like that overnight. So we'll see how they react to to Erendir.
1: I could almost like kind of agree with Brian there. Like there could be a scenario where some of them are blaming him, blaming the elves for this somehow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, this is all your fault. You brought them here. Something like that. So um back at the Watchtower, uh Erendir arrives, tells Braun when he was given a message from Adar. Um, that the men forsake the lands and give fealty to him. And if they refuse, they die. So, um do you think that once this message is given, some of these men will swear their loyalty and allegiance to Adar? I think it may cause, it's definitely going to cause some stir among the men. And I feel like we might see some of these men just exactly do what Adar wants. I, I don't know if I see all of them basically, you know, uh, wanting to fight against this. We know of at least, at least one man who's going to, uh, give fealty to, to Adar. (laughs) Right.
2: (laughs) So, he knows all, all the that. bedtime stories and everything.
1: Yeah, that guy just went right for it. No beating around the bush, name dropping. Just went, But I, I think you're right, Brian. It could be a combination of some straight walkouts or maybe this growing dissension within as well.
2: Yeah. I, I like the idea that it's a large amount of them and then Arandir is with them and then he's remembering the words of the Watch Warden. You know, actually seeing these they people are. actively choose fucking <laughs> evil again right. right in front of him. And then maybe Bronwyn has to leave. And ooh, yeah, I, I like it that, that it's actually a, a relatively small amount that that don't want to.
0: Theo is. Theo talks to the uh, the old man. That old man that we've seen before in the town. He's uh, does he does he he throws him some alcohol, right? And he says he deserves it uh, for taking the hilt and then shows him his mark on his arm. And Theo has that same mark. And then he talks about the sword and says, it's no sword. It is a power fashioned by, uh, for our ancestors by his master's own hand, a beautiful servant. He was lost, but shall return. Have you heard of him, lad? Have you heard of Sauron? You must have seen it in the skies. His time is near. It is to you and me, lad, to be ready. Wow. This guy, (laughs) this guy. (laughs) All the (laughs) Kool-Aid. The kids, Theo Theo says, Theo says, ready for what? And he says, save your strength. You'll need it for what's coming.
2: Killing the people among them that don't swear fealty. <laughs> That's what do you, do you
0: think Adar is going to show up at the watchtower with the orcs, you know, at night and, and basically say, hey, you know, just show him like the army that he has amassed. And it's going to put fear into these men. And maybe he says, you know, hey, leave, <laughs> leave them, join, join us and live. Men of the Southlands that still have, you know, that still give fealty to Sauron. And, to, and just to kind of like watch those men walk out and 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 join that army, I mean that would be a huge blow to Bronwyn and Aaron Deere and the rest of the men of the Southlands who are wanting to to fight against Sauron.
2: Absolutely, and and I'll be interested to hear if Adar name drops Sauron because that that might shore up what we were dis, uh, discussing earlier. If he's doing it on his own or if he's doing it as a you know, an agent of the Sauron. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it could be really
1: cool too, Brian. Even though it's like the converse of that is, you know, because Adar is so, he doesn't look as threatening. He is more of like an elf, like maybe he can go there and he'll just go himself and kind of not plead to them like he needs them, but will kind of give a really kind of good point of view and they're going to be like oh they're not all monsters and this is a lot more approachable than a bunch of orcs and obviously being a pretty damn dirty trick but i could also see him going in there and and charming them a little bit as well
0: yeah Uh uh-huh yeah that could definitely could be what we see going forward here um they cut to a scene of an orc reporting to adar saying that they found it and it's in the tower, and he's talking about Theo's sword. They're going to be on their way, and they probably are going to be working double time in the trenches to get there. So, yeah, we can expect to see a big battle coming up. I would expect to see a big battle. I'd be surprised if if we don't. I mean, it would just be um, I'd be kind of let down if we didn't get to see a big battle. I think it'd be very cool to see these men of the Southlands fight, fight these orcs. I don't see them coming out on top though. I think they need reinforcements. Ooh. You kind where, of imagine where, once. Oh,
2: sorry. That's to say, where could an army of reinforcements be coming from?
0: I don't know, Joe,
2: where could an <laughs> army of reinforcements ever be coming from? It seems hopeless. <laughs>
3: I got to imagine once per season they're going to have like a big battle set yeah. piece. Like it would seem like a waste if they didn't.
1: I think oh, absolutely. The trailers, they've, they've shown like Galadriel and some people on uh, multiple people on horseback as well, and kind of that I think were different than some of the flashbacks. So, yeah, I think just even for like a proof of concept for interest for people to return into season two, like they need to kind of show a little bit of, they've shown great CG locations and cities. Great acting characters we're familiar with. Hope, like I said, they've teased a, a Balrog. So we'll get some CG monsters. But yeah, a good old fashioned Jackson style battle out on a battlefield would be awesome.
0: Yeah, man. I I hope they've been watching those movies. I hope they also watch Battle of the Bastards and they're like, yeah, you know, what, Game of Thrones did it. We could do it, too. So I'm really hoping that they'll kind of up the violence as well. In those scenes, because we have seen this show really get violent, you know, the last episode with the warg and the blood. And then, of course, with Hal Brand fighting the men in the in the alley, breaking bones. I mean, I really want to see, you know, I want to I want to hear swords clashing. I want to, you know, I want to see bones breaking. I want to see blood flying like (laughs) maces to faces, maces to faces. (laughs) All right, let's jump in to the Galadriel storyline this week. And it starts with a vision. And it's Queen Regent Muriel is having kind of like a, a, a dream and, and, and welcoming these newborn babies into Numenor. And then she hears like, um, this, this sound, this, this very loud rumble and the chandelier starts to shake and we see this gigantic wave in the background and we see it kind of like approaching over the mountains you start to hear people screaming and it reminded me like of the you know you know that you're upsetting the Valor, you're upsetting the gods and it reminded me of very much like the the biblical flood you know Noah and the ark and everything and and um so uh i just thought that the effects and the dream was very like very convincing of like what is to come and like how it is going to wipe these people out.
1: It's what's crazy and something that always is striking. And I was like talking to you guys this week of going back and reading that fourth book in the Silmarillion and and going through it. It's, it's the suddenness of it, you know, they, their actions and you could see coming that something bad would happen. And there are, there are, actions of trying to claim immortality and all these type of things was not going to go well but it just shows and the religious allegory cannot be denied and obviously tolkien the devout christian it's just that like the numenor and they're all existing at the pleasure of the gods and of and their mercy and literally you can sink that entire great nation that's lasted for thousands of years and all this history and all these people we know and in a snap, it's literally going to go when they decide it's time to go. And it's just – it is a crazy way to start the episode.
2: I, I love the visual of it too with the white petals falling off that tree and it just blowing into that room that they're in like a snowstorm. So ominous.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we see Farizan, uh dream over. We get Farazan walking around like – The 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 streets and the different vendors that they have there and and then, you know, greeting all the people there. And he gets word of like of a a, kind of like a mob that is forming, you know, in in the yard. And uh, was that his son? I think that was his son that came and told him he called him son. So I didn't know if, you know, I I didn't know if it was just like an elder calling someone younger son or if that was his actual son. Did we catch his name? I believe it started with a T we didn't catch his name Um, no worries it treadwell maybe might be it yeah
1: oh yeah Let me go back and yeah i have it written here
0: yeah joe so you looked on imdb his name is treadwell treadwell i'm going with okay yeah so if it's not treadwell i hopefully we'll hear about it but uh that's what we're gonna call him this episode yeah so treadwell tells him basically about like this mob that's that's forming in the streets we get to the mob and it's the man from the last episode that was uh, going after Halbrand and he's really getting the people riled up and and uh, you know uh, talking about uh, you know why isn't the queen done anything why is she allowing an elf in the kingdom and 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 start they start to chant elf lover elf lover about queen Muriel and Faraon uses the mob to get them behind him. He starts saying that, you know, they are the descendants of Elros. Uh, the men that defeated Morgoth. But now one elf threatens us. And he, you know, then gets the crowd really behind him when he says that Numenor will always remain a kingdom of men. And so, yeah, man. I was, uh, I was hating Ferizan here so much
1: he's the acting is great because i agree you hate him he's such a prick but the performance is awesome and it's he is again you got to remember in numenor he doesn't represent a minority he really represents what the kind of prevailing thoughts are and but again taking advantage of those fears where he he kind of in that speech, speeches you know it starts with one they'll come and take all of our jobs and take our kingdom and it's 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 really sinister where it's like they just one elf just showed up there. She's not even she's trying to literally get a boat to leave. She's, and you guys are saying that she's there to take over. And it's it's just that fear mongering. But it works. Well, I think what he's
0: doing here is he's kind of like playing. He's kind of being like a delegate and saying, like, yes, I hear you. I hear your cries and I am behind you. And I think he's trying to stop them from like. Basically forming like a mob and maybe a march to like the throne room, an angry mob showing up. I feel like that's the way this could have gone possibly.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Um, I just looked up this character just to be sure, and it's Kemen. So <laughs> not not Treadwell. <laughs>
1: We like treadmill. I like, like treadmill
2: like too. Treadmill apparently, or treadmill or whatever the fuck his name is, was apparently one of the people in the tavern. Wait, Peloton? Where Aron, where Arondel went in the furze? Peloton, Peloton <laughs> son <laughs> of the king. <laughs> and then his brother Nordic Track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he chose a mortal life,
2: <laughs> but together they had rock hard abs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh what's his name kenon Kemen 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 okay um we see that Farazon son Kemen is flirting with a, a-, 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 a- Arian, who is um Elendil's daughter and he's wanting to – it felt like maybe he was just like, you know, stri- trying to strike up a friendship. But then it seemed more like after yeah, you know, inviting her out to get something to eat, he was trying to strike up a like possible relationship. And uh I think that that's super interesting. Uh, Because later on, we do find out that she did go to dinner with him. And I think that that would – That's an interesting dynamic because you have someone who's basically very close to Farazhan with it being his son and then someone who's very close to Elendil and maybe she can get him to kind of feed some information to her that she could, you know, possibly give to Elendil and Isildur, if you see what I'm saying. I I just think it's an interesting dynamic to have these two characters possibly starting a relationship. And they're both kind of like on opposite sides of things. Like one is yeah, very,
3: it could, it could go the other way around as well. Like, true. Um, Farzar could get information from his son.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It could go either way at this point. I just think it's an, I think I like that kind of like that wrinkle. In this story of this new character that was created just for the show of uh a that now we've got a character that's possibly striking up a relationship with Farazon's son
2: he's got, got sick game to too <laughs> you to talk to her very confidently. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he did. He was he didn't even really have to peacock or anything. He was all just like he was a <laughs> <laughs> excellent idea. I shall let you know if I see it. Yeah, that was that was super suave, man. Mm, that was. was a good
3: line.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: It worked. It worked. She went to dinner with him.
2: Yeah, it made her laugh. He got the laugh.
0: <laughs> Galadriel is presenting Muriel with the scrolls that were brought to her at the Hall of Lore showing Muriel the contingency plan of Morgoth to have Sauron and the orcs create Mordor and um, she tells Queen Muriel that Halbrand is the lost heir in exile to the throne of the Southlands she says that his people are scattered leaderless but with her backing they might unite and so she basically she wants Muriel to unite the people of Númenor and the elves to fight the remnants of Sauron and save the men of the Southlands before Sauron takes them as his own, Muriel basically just says, no, not happening. Like, we're going in a different direction. And as Muriel walks away, Galadriel demands to speak with her father, Tar Palantir, the one who has the real authority. And I was just like, oh, my God, no tact with Galadriel, right? Like zero tact
1: at all. No chill. Galadriel has no chill, no decorum. She is literally the definition of a bull in a china shop.
2: (laughs) 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 And I I love how they go on to even kind of explain that in this episode. But um, I loved it to where when 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 Muriel said that they're going in a different direction and the camera just kind of focuses on Galadriel's face. And you can just see it like the face acting there. It's like, what was she thinking about in real life where she got that much of a simmering anger look on her face to pull that off? And and then she just blows up and it's like she just does not learn. She she just has to immediately take things up to an 11.
0: She's always stoking the fire. It's like if someone doesn't see things the way that she sees them. And I'm not saying she's wrong here, but I think that she does not. Um, I mean, maybe just you know, if you want to catch some bees, fucking use some honey. So it's it, yeah, I think the the conversation that she has with Halbrand is is very much needed. It's when she's needed to hear for a long time. But she she says she wants to speak with someone with the real authority. And Muriel asks what authority she speaks of, and she uh and and basically like hers like. Like, believing that like, she has no authority with the elves. Um, oh, no. Uh, Muriel asks, what authority she speaks of. Hers? Uh, talking about Galadriel's authority. Like, like she's, she's saying, like, I believe, like, you have no authority yourself with the elves. I don't think that you're here representing Gil-Galad. I think that you're just a castaway and you're acting on your own behalf, but, sa- but basically trying to come off. That you have the backing of Gil Gallad? Oh, snap. <laughs> right. Pretty pretty dead on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I th- yeah, She picked up all the clues there. She's like uh, Nancy Drew.
2: Yeah, I
3: really <laughs> like this scene a lot. And I think G- Galadriel gets a better understanding of how rude she was being in a later scene. I mean, I, it very much comes to home how rude she was being demanding to speak to the real authority when she kind of sees what's going on in the first place.
0: Gladriel pushes the matter, and she's thrown into a jail cell next to Halbrand. So they both ended up in a jail cell.
2: The way they cut that was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it's <made> it <laughs> so funny. Uh, now we're back. He's at, like, "Let me guess: tavern brawl." <laughs> 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 He's so delighted and so dish. not surprised. No, not at Brand all. In the cell next to him.
0: Uh, <laughs> let, we jump to Isildur and. Um, He's out at sea with the sea guard, and he hears his name whispered and If I had to guess which direction it was coming from, it was coming from out west, I'm just throwing that out there. But I believe it's probably like we're hearing the the voice of his mother here, and I realize that she has passed, but I believe like this is a this is a calling like to him.
2: That was yeah. my thought, too. Yeah. I, I jotted that down in my notes, like, uh, a sealed to your voice. Mother, question mark? I think it is his
0: mother. I mean, she was brought up in this episode, and so yeah. I I do think it was her.
2: Yeah, that was what led me in that direction, too, is the, the, the altercation that he soon gets into.
0: hmm
2: Well, him and his, you know, two buddies,
0: uh, I mean... One of, the, one of the guys is being careless and, and uh, something goes wrong with the sail. And he, Isildur steps up and says, it was, it was my fault. It was my fault. And all three of them get kicked out of the Sea Guard. And now we're in an alley with his friends and they are just pissed off at him for like, like they get kicked out of the Sea Guard. And now he's immediately asking them to go out west. <laughs>
3: They're like, you might as well at this point, right?
0: No, it's like, here's the thing. It's like these guys, like the one guy says, I've been wanting to do this my entire life. And now it's gone. Like, I think maybe, again, another character with zero tact and terrible timing. Maybe you don't ask them immediately
3: after you get kicked out of the Sea Guard to go out west. Yeah, true enough. True enough. I mean, his other buddy was going to get kicked out regardless, right? He was not doing well.
1: Sea <laughs> captain was kind of a dick, though.
2: Oh, I loved that guy, though. The, I just kept picturing him like saying other things as he's bounding around this ship because he says everything at high volume, and it's all borderline stuff that you'd read on like a guidance counselor's poster on his wall. <laughs>
0: <Hell> I <is> like that. <laughs> I just kept thinking, like, that guy was late for his photo shoot to be on the next romance cover. (laughs) His friend is just pissed off at Sildor for this happening. And he's like, what have you ever done but brood and blubber about your dead mom? Which, like, that leads to fisticuffs. Understandably, if, like, somebody throws out your dead mom, it's like, yeah, dude. It's time that to throw down. world, out.
3: fantasy world. That, them are strong words.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, that didn't go over too well. Um, we see that uh, Farazan's son is uh, still kind of talking to Ellen Deal, and um, so that is yeah that that that's definitely. That's definitely a relationship that I want to keep an eye on in future episodes. I think it will be important. I think we're just kind of like, they're giving us a taste of it, but I think it's going to be very important going forward. And I think that they do need to do something with Ayarion, her character. And I think that this is something that they can do with her, is have her strike up like this friendship slash relationship with Kemen.
2: Yeah, a lot of different places that can go because it's I mean, it's a borderline Romeo and Juliet story. If you think of Farazon as the leader of the Kingsmen and Elendil as the leader of the faithful, then their children getting together. And at least the way they portrayed Kevin so far, he doesn't seem to be like, I mean, it seems like when he's around his dad, his dad treats him like shit. And he's carrying that status of it, but he's clearly not impressed by his dad either.
1: Yeah. yeah and and, and where Farazan's going and if they follow which they're probably not going to really change his ultimate kind of arc it would will really divide that family and it will lead to some of that family not making it out oh know? yeah and that's going to be a really crazy and sad thing to see
0: absolutely um we're back to Galadriel and she's in her cell. She's talking with Halbrand. And Halbrand tells her that she's been dealing with the situation in Numenor all wrong. She's not dealing with orcs or trolls. She's dealing with men. And you just, you know, the Queen's Court is not her usual battlefield. And he says, You have to find what it is that your opponent fears most. And she immediately says, and exploit it. And he says, No. Give give them a means of mastering it so that you can master uh, – so that you can master them. And this line, that's kind of like is, – is like another nail in the coffin of this guy being Sauron. Like, it sounds like Sauron and the creation of the Rings of Power. He says, find what they fear most. The elves of Eregion of created the rings to preserve their lands. So the main power of the rings was to prevent and decelerate decay and change, then use that to master them. And Sauron's plan was to have Celebrimbor and his smiths created uh, rings for the elves. Uh, Sauron forged his own master ring in secret in the fires of Mount Doom. His ring would control the other rings when worn by the elves, making Sauron the most powerful being in Middle-earth hmm, wow, sure sounds like Sauron here. Like, give them a means. It's like, find what they fear most and give them a means of mastering it so that you can master them. I think it's like, this just sounds like Sauron spelling out his future plan. He's telling what Galadriel what she needs to do in this instance. But man, everything he's saying here sounds like it's coming out of the mouth of Sauron, if you ask me.
2: Yeah, I think there's a lot of credence to that dude. As soon as he said that, and he's basically just giving a TED talk on how to manipulate people, strong Sauron vibes.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the longer this is like – you know, I didn't initially think it was Sauron. I'm still not sold. But the longer they go without kind of clearly introducing somebody else as Sauron, the more and more that's where I'll start to lean definitely. I mean we are
0: through the fourth episode and it's like where is like Sauron? I think we I think he's been under our nose this entire time, but we shall see. Galadriel realizes what got her thrown in the cell is Muriel's fear of her mentioning that she wanted to speak to her father, and Queen Regent Muriel gives her decision that Galadriel is to be shipped back to the elves by armed escort. Um Okay, now we are okay. A uh Ar Arion. I'm trying all these names guys. Arion meets with Eceldor. And um Basically says that she went out to, she went out to eat, went out to dinner, and then the was like, oh, you know, what was his name? And so, yeah, it's kind of confirmed there that she went out to eat with Ken, uh, is it Kemmer? Kemen. 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 And so he tells her that, you know, he was kicked out of the sea guard. And at that moment, we get like, uh, all these guards that are running around, uh, Numenor, and they're searching for an escaped Galadriel. Now, Galadriel has broken into the tower, and then we get our first – not our first shot, but we get – yeah, th- is this our first shot of Tarpalantir?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: He looks like Sleepy Dumbledore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he sure did. <laughs> uh, w- one of the things, when when Galadriel was making her way out of that cell, and she was taking on all the guards, and Farazhan had pulled his sword – And and Halbrand was basically cautioning or advising him to let her go. And he's like, I can't just let her go. And he's like, you can if you know where she's going. And so this is the first time Halbrand is doing something for Farazhan and showing his worth. Which pays off clearly, because later on in this story arc, you see Halbrand walking away as a free man. Wow. So I think that that. Because he helped out on there. on sprung him from jail. And I think that we're seeing the start of a relationship between those two, which is something that's going to be very interesting going forward on the whole Halbrand is Sauron front. Yep. Wow, Joe. I didn't even pick up on that. Even more
0: Halbrand is Sauron possible proof. Yeah, dude. going to have to do a
1: t shirt, dude. Halbrand is Sauron. You better hurry
3: up and make that shirt. I
0: don't think that we're going to officially find it out until probably the penultimate or the final
3: episode. I think they're going to drag this one out, guys. No, I agree with that. But if it's going to be this season, I mean, that's still four weeks or less. It's not going to be much longer before. I know. Everyone's going to know what's up. I know.
0: And we're not really putting out shirts, everybody. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Unless there's a very high demand. We'll start printing now. Um, Yeah, and then you can wear that shirt. And then when he's not, everybody can – then you can put that shirt away forever.
3: I mean, that's kind of <laughs> awesome. Like it's like the team that loses the Super Bowl and they still made all the merchandise, you know?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
3: Collector's items.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. was it revealed that was it revealed or kind of alluded to that tar palantir is dying here
2: i mean yeah he's laying in the bed and coughing and can barely speak and stuff and and muriel says that not very many people know the extent of his condition and so she wants to keep it that way that's what i thought as well
0: yeah okay yeah uh, Galadriel says, your father was loyal to, uh, talking to Muriel. Your father was loyal to the Elvish ways. Why are you not? And I, I was like, finally, you know, I mean, you yeah, know, that's a great question. That is a great question. And, um, she takes, Muriel takes Galadriel to, This is something that I said in the last episode that, you know, uh, one of the gifts that they were giving were that were given, uh, the men of Numenor, they were given seeing stones and I said to keep an eye out for seeing stones possibly in future episodes. And here we are the very next episode, we're getting a seeing stone and we get the, we get the vision. Galadriel puts her hand upon, um, the seeing stone and sees the vision of the end of Numenor, the great wave. And then she finds out that the vision starts with her arrival. And so, because she's like, well, you know, not everything that you see in the seeing stone is, is concrete. It's, you know, these things can be changed. She's like, Oh, well, you know, this one's already started to, you know, the pieces are already falling in motion. It started with you arriving. This is happening.
1: And in the books, Tar Palantir himself did have some sense of foresight himself, uh, sans the actual seeing stone. So this is definitely something that they've been preparing for. But like I said last week, I like the acting and the, the urgency where maybe they thought it came sooner than they 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 thought it would uh, oh, crap. I, like we weren't ready for this. No, we knew it was coming.
0: I read this on Den of Geek. They're talking about the wave and and they said Numenor is inspired by the Greek myth of Atlantis. According to Plato, Atlantis was an island city full of brave warriors and ruled by kings, which was destroyed by earthquakes and swallowed up by the sea in one night. A story which may or may not have been inspired by the destruction of the island of uh, Thera, now known as Santorini centuries earlier. Tolkien had a recurring nightmare about a great wave rising up and covering the land, which he associated with the story of Atlantis. He gave the dream to Faramir in the books, Faramir being a Gondorian and Gondor being one of the realms founded by Numenorean exiles after the destruction of the island. According to Tolkien's timeline provided in Appendix B of the Lord of the Rings, Numenor is destroyed in 3319, the Second Age. Um, in case you're wondering, uh, that's 22 years before the great battle that ends the age. So you might be thinking, oh, okay, we're going to see a series about the last. Okay, no, I I think I read all I needed to read there. But yes, there, um, I thought, I found it interesting that Tolkien actually took inspiration from the destruction of Atlantis and then a recurring nightmare that he had.
1: The recurring nightmare is definitely something they bring up a lot in coverage of the Lord of the Rings. And that's, again, it's it's really cool to see that it's a direct correlation of some great fear in his you know life, and his subconscious. That would be the worst way to go in such an overwhelming end. So I just love the connections to his personal life and how he doesn't really try to hide that in his writing.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Muriel says that... Uh She's going to announce that Galadriel has left and that the crisis is over. And we see Galadriel getting ready to board a ship and it's on its way to take her back to the elves. And this is when Muriel is walking away and sees the tree blossoms falling. And um, we hear the voiceover from episode three, uh, the faithful Believes that when the petals from the white tree fall, it is no idle thing. The very tears of the Valar themselves, a living reminder that their eyes and their judgment are upon us. And then we jump to the throne room and we start, we see Muriel talking about, she's like, there is a faithful hour in the destinies of men, an hour of judgment, which each of us, everyone, must decide who we shall be. And she gives this rousing speech. And, um, then says that she's going to personally escort Galadriel to Middle Earth. And she's asking for Numenorians to escape, escort her on her journey there. And then we get a scene of like, uh, Numenorean men in, in like a courtyard and, you know, who will, who will serve, who will, who will join her starts off with one of, Isildur's buddies that was kicked out of the Sea Guard saying, I will serve. And then another guy, I will serve. And then Isildur himself, I will serve. And then it's like everyone is saying they will serve. And so that is kind of where that story ends this episode. Any, any final thoughts on the Galadriel storyline?
2: I was really shocked by the twist at the end of it. The that when the the queen or the regent heeded the warning of the leaves and and they turned around and were like, Okay, yeah, we will send soldiers with you then because this is clearly sending you off away and not aiding you is not the right course of action here.
0: I was shocked too, Joe. I was really shocked they were going this way.
2: But I I, I bet you who's not going to go is Defarizan. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, zero percent chance.
2: He's gonna be left on the island with no Muriel there, so he's gonna be running things all by himself, and that power's gonna run to his head. And who else is on that island that already talks to him? So Sauron, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I mean, this could be setting up perfectly for for the the downfall of Numenor the, that may or may not happen by the end of this season.
0: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, you're 100 right. It's like. Yes, things need. I mean, they definitely need to come to the aid of the men of the Southlands, right? But it's like you're also setting up so much more, leaving Farazon alone with Halbrand.
1: Exactly, and and you know, if you actually went by the lore it, when it's written, how it's written in Tolkien's writing, it, it kind you could kind of get away with it. It's written much more like a myth, and here's the history, and here's how it went. But if it were to play out exactly how it plays out in the book. I think a lot of people would think it was really stupid, to be honest, in a lot of ways, how it would play out on TV, and it wouldn't seem very believable. Right now, if he is Sauron and things are going the way, it, it's a very believable scenario.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If we were sticking just to the text, this would all be taking place over hundreds, if not approaching thousands of years. Yeah. It, with a lot of back and forth, too, uh-huh. with like the Numenoreans being really powerful where they're at on their island and Sauron being very powerful where he is in Mordor and then basically having a pissing match about it to mm-hmm. where then Farazon's or maybe even one of the kings before him it's sends an army t- to to the Black Gates. And then Sauron's like, oh, I'll go with you. And then he chills there in Numenor and that's where he starts poisoning the mind of Farazon, And they've accelerated that in a, in a really nice way. I mean, if we're getting there in four episodes – of this television show yeah. already, that's that's pretty fucking
0: cool. I'll tell you one thing, Joe. I was not expecting to see those blossoms falling. The very not next at episode, that rate. no.
1: Jeez. Is the look the look that Alendio gives like the terror? It's like everything you need to know right there. Mm-hmm. I agree, man. Yeah, this this <laughs> they've definitely
0: compressed this the the story the timeline here, and things are moving along. I, Joe, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the The fall of Numenor before the end of the season?
1: I'm changing No, I wouldn't mind. either. <laughs> I'm changing my <laughs> mind. I think it's going to move up faster. I'm thinking next season now, the way it's going, honestly.
2: At the latest, I would say next season. <laughs> 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 yeah, At the latest end, for end sure. of this episode, I'll be on
1: next episode. <laughs> it, yeah it, also, it's like the, with the way it's moving i mean it could be the next episode we don't I, I know. know you you see me i'm trying to hold in my head a little bit of war but like again I'm, I'm just i have to i have to take what i'm seeing on the screen and there's no way to stretch it out more than another maybe season if they're going to continue to move at this rate unless they do start to introduce some other storylines that take precedent maybe but i just don't see that
0: how much of the actual like of the flood are we going to see are they going are we going to see people like running through the t- are they going to go there like people running through the town trying to like get away trying to go to high places kids crying women crying men fucking like just just not you know, people holding on to stuff people just and then an underwater shot of just people floating
2: Oh wow. I saw
0: that elf shot like that. Already. I know that that was during the, the, the war of wrath. I mean, but this is, I mean, this hits a little bit closer with, with it being okay. like with human characters here. Right. Oh, mm-hmm. totally.
1: We are definitely, whether we see the, the kind of like what you're talking about, Brian, the escape. I do know that a lot of them do go for the mountain on the island because it's the high point And that kind of obviously makes sense. Um, But I do think whether even it's something sudden, we're definitely going to have a few shots of some characters we know underwater meeting their demise, which is going to be really tough, especially if they do a great job of making us care for these characters like we're starting to.
2: Um, I I think if once the queen or the, the regents. Her like band of ships or whatever that leaves to Middle Earth, if it's nine ships. I I I think that that's that's a wrap. <laughs> I think that that because it's nine ships of the faithful who escaped b- before. So if 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 Meryl and Galadriel's little mini fleet there with Elendil and we know Elendil and the is among them. Mm-hmm. If there's nine ships then that's going to line up with the text as well. But we've got to see definitely I think we have to see
0: some scenes of Farazon and and of uh Halbrand Kind of, you know, getting closer, and maybe maybe Halbrand taking, you know, getting into his good graces a little bit more, and taking over more as like a kind of like an advisor role, on, honestly.
1: And, and Kalibrimbor too, Kalibrimbor and yes. Sauron have to have to connect, and that's a real friendship and real. And Kalibrimbor is the one who susses Sauron out in the text, so that definitely has to. I would think. They need to find a way to get them together sooner than later, as well.
3: Yeah,
2: and, and I, I think he's already talked with with Kalibrimborm. I think too. that too, and, and, Joe. And that's why that tower is being built and stuff. And then I think he's going to check back in on him later. Maybe we'll even get a flashback from Kalibrimborm's point of view where he first met.
1: Oh my God, that would be amazing. That's what and Joe.
2: I was, I was literally sorry, thinking that. No, I was thinking that as I was
0: watching the episode, and I almost brought it up. That I feel like you know, even with just the construction of the, of the tower forge in Aregion being built. It leads me to believe that there has to be some sort of a past history with Elrond and, and Sauron.
1: Yeah, yeah. he didn't he didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, let me build this forge." Right. It has to have been some conversation <laughs> that prompted. I mean, again, he wants to leave legacy and he talks about that in his introduction. But there had to have been something that was the little stone to start the avalanche to use something from the episode.
0: I mean, I, I do feel like it goes back to, you know, what Hal Brand was saying about, you know, find their fears, give them a way to master it. And then use that to be their master. And I feel like he's kind of like started this plan and put it in place. And the pieces are just moving now. And so we'll see. We we let, Let's jump into Elrond and Durin. But Joe I, Joe, I 100% agree with you there. I really do feel like there has. And I think a flashback, if this is the case, I think a flashback would be well served in a future episode to see those two. Yeah, absolutely. We see a shot of, uh, let's get into Elrond and Durin this episode. We see a shot of the construction of the Tower Forge in Eregion. We see elves and dwarves working together to build it. This is where they're going to be creating the 20 Rings of Power. Three for the Elven Kings, worn by Galadriel, Gandalf, and Elrond by the time of the films, the Jackson films. Seven for the Dwarf Lords. Nine for Mortal Men, worn by the ring race and then the one ring made by sauron himself in mount doom um calabrimbor is talking with elrond and 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 feels like you know like where's durin been is he is he avoiding me is he hi- or is he hiding something i want you to go check that out so elrond goes to speak with durin at uh Doom, and he meets with disa and she's making excuses for where Doran is. And he kind of calls her out and she does some quick thinking and then puts him in his place and says, Oh, he didn't take his chisel because this, this kind of ore can be, it has to be pulled from the rock walls. And, and, uh, you know, yes, it may take you a two day journey, but for, for a highly skilled dwarf, it only takes a couple hours. And, and so, you know, she, he still knows that she's lying, but he can tell at, at this point, Don't push it. You can see it written all over her face. Like, don't, why are you questioning a dwarf about like my integrity, my honesty in
2: my own house? Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's a recipe for strong gravy. Strong gravy. Yeah. I love that line. Elrond. It's a great line. Elrond uh,
0: goes to to look for Durin because he knows something's up and he finds
2: him in the mines. They end up I love the way he does it, that he's eavesdropping from a mile away. <laughs> yeah. He, he's like reading lips, right? Something like that. He can I hear, don't know he if he he's can hear them and see them. He
1: has like the, the zoom in and the audio, so both. <laughs> he's like,
0: enhance, enhance. <laughs> <laughs> Literally.
2: It's like when Legolas let Aragorn lay with his ear on the ground for a long time to then be like. Yeah, there's actually this many people <laughs> right. coming towards us. <laughs> yeah, he, he,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, Elrond learns of... Durin tells him about, uh, you know, Mithril. And uh, it's it, he, he won't tell him unless he makes him, like, a promise. Like, I, you know, y- you will not tell anyone about, you know, what you see here. And... Do we believe Elrond? I mean, he swears on his father, Aarendel.
2: Yeah, I I, be, I think that – I don't think that Elrond would swear on his father mm-hmm. and then cross that. I agree. I think that this is ex- like very heartfelt that that he's not going to betray this trust of Durin. I mean, he's already done things like
0: not visit the guy for 20 years. I mean, like wh- – I mean, you do this, and you've basically lost not just a friend, but you've
2: lost dwarven allies. Yeah, they're going to be actively opposed to you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh huh. Agreed, yeah.
2: Elrond's going to get
1: caught in the middle here. You can kind of just see that coming. Like, he's not fully filled in, and I think that King Durin's not going to be entirely wrong.
2: Well, and also we know that one of these rings that Celebrimbor is going to forged the three that he does himself one of those is forged of mithril yep. so where's he going to get that chunk of mithril either he's going to get a good enough relationship with Durin to get it from him or elrond's going to give it to him oh and then is yeah. that going to have to come with a, an explanation
0: right yeah yeah we find out you know duran's talking about mithril talking about how it's lighter than silk stronger than steel but it's very perilous to mine and his father has been restricting his efforts to mine for Mithril. And then, yes, he gives Elrond that piece of Mithril. And he says, keep it as a token of our friendship. And uh right after that moment, one of the tunnels, one of the mines collapses. And um we learn later, you know, Odisa's talking about it. And she's like, you know jern was supposed to be in that mine. she's almost th- you know she's not almost she is thankful that her husband was pulled away by elrond who's doing something that he shouldn't be doing he shouldn't be spying makes you,
3: fear, makes you feel terrible for lying too
0: yeah 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 but we jump into the next scene it's uh Disa singing she goes full Aretha Franklin and it's awesome I really feel like it was a beautiful song I loved everything that was happening in this scene and we find out that her singing was a plea to the rocks to release the bodies of the men who still had air in their lungs um to release them from the mineshaft and I thought that this was I thought
2: it was beautiful absolutely I was listening to it on Spotify earlier today and um it's so awesome. It reminds me of this one really excellent prodigy track, also. <laughs> just this this that, is already on Spotify? Yeah, dude. You you have to definitely check it out. I'll i I'll send you the link to it. Uh the it's the, the the whole album.
3: So like episode eight is already on Spotify musically.
2: Well, basically it's just a whole album that has Bear McCleary as the artist, and it's just the music of the uh, Rings of Power. Oh
1: amazing. Yeah, they're definitely out there, Jake. Like I was able to even use them on like the Instagram post. Like they have that music on Instagram.
0: But if it has if it has music from future episodes, wouldn't that like the titles of some of the songs? <laughs> I'm reading the
3: titles right this second.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Wow,
1: the song is called Sauron is Halbrand. Wow. Yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <sighs> um we saw some pieces when she was singing uh did you guys see the pieces of like the grinded up stone and some of that sand start moving it was almost like it was reacting to her voice and her singing
2: yeah it was so cool
0: and I the um any credits oh <laughs> yeah. you know who hates you know who hates the opening credits more than jake is anakin
3: <laughs> oh, yeah a thousand percent a thousand percent he didn't even watch after the opening credits he, no. he checked out i at least watched the episode
0: it gets everywhere um <laughs> duran we find out duran pulls all of the men out of the mine they're all alive uh but after this his dad his father king Durin, shuts down the whole mithril digging operation and uh duran is not having it. He is he is he is mad at his father and he wishes he could basically just tell him what he thinks and he yells I'll never trade words with the old gods again. And then we get this amazing scene that you guys kind of talked about earlier. It's I think Durin really connects with Elrond and Elrond connects with Durin here over feeling like they're never good enough when compared to their father. So we've got two sons talking about how difficult, even though one's an elf, one's a dwarf, doesn't matter that they're completely two different races. They can still connect on like not being good enough or not, maybe not even just not being good enough, but maybe just not feeling good enough, uh, feeling as good or just inferior to their fathers. Elrond tells the story of his father. He says, my father single handedly sailed to Valin, and convinced the Valar to join the war and vanquish Morgoth. So great were his deeds that the Valar lifted him beyond the bounds of this world to forever carry the evening star across the sky. For many years and days And I would look up to it, wondering what might he think if he were watching me. Would he be proud of what I've accomplished with his legacy, or disappointed by the countless ways I've failed to live up to it? But then one night, it struck me that I would only be too happy to hear any judgment so long as it granted me the opportunity to have one more conversation with my father. Do not waste what time you have left with yours. And I was like, man, that is a good friend.
2: So that's so beautiful. And like, I can't believe the so far the episodes or the moments in the episodes of this show that have like carried the most amount of heart for me is a conversation between Elrond and Durin in that second episode where where Durin really lays his heart bare and like yells at him. It's been twenty years. I lived an entire life and you missed it. And now this exchange here, it's just wow. The the writers are doing something really special with this relationship uh, between the elf and the dwarf, which is a fantastic um, nod to the 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 relationship between an elf and a dwarf that we get in the Peter Jackson films.
1: Yeah, and I, I think even in a way, and it's not spoken here, but maybe this is a moment where Doran can understand. It's like saying you 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 missed my whole life and maybe now he understands like Elron's just trying to grind away to make his father, the immortal star, proud and it's like, man, maybe I need to be a little easier on this guy. If I'm feeling pressure from my dad, that's that's like nothing compared to his.
0: Yeah, I think it go I think it works twofold. You know, it's like, Wow, um, You've had a lot going on in your life too. And I think that, I think that all the time that they've spent away from each other, hopefully it's just, it's mended now and it's just, it's washed over. But it's just nice that these two characters, it's, I think it's very cathartic, like, for them to have this conversation with one another because I think both of them, like, who else can Elrond really have this conversation with? I mean, it's true. Even think about it because like, uh, they're both of their fathers were, are just these living legends. One, well, not one living, but they were living legends. And so it's like, not many people can like relate to like the legacy that, that they have to live up to. So like, I think it's, I think it's an important, it's an important relationship. It's an important conversation and hopefully it's kind of like opened up. Ron's eyes as to like what an important friendship this this should be like this this friendship should take precedent in his life like don't let this friendship go to waste.
2: Oh, absolutely. And and I loved after that that incredibly heartfelt moment, it immediately turned into joking and ribbing at each other. Yeah. With with Deesa <laughs> asking how they first met and and you could tell that Darren had framed this story that that he was this brave Warrior that saved Elrond when really it was the other way around. And <laughs> Elrond saying that he was drawn to the clearing because the screams were so high pitched he thought it was that of a child. Yes. <laughs> you could tell his wife
3: always
1: thought it was BS too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, he was able to take them down with a bow and he couldn't take them down with like his hammer or his axe. Like...
0: <laughs> Durin uh, meets with his father, King Durin, and says that he was proud and st- stubborn and wrong. And King Durin says that their ancestors believed that when a new dwarf king is crowned, that the wisdom of the past kings flows through him, even their mistakes. And he says, but you need not wait for that day to hear my voice. Forever am I with you, my son, even in anger. And oh, man, what a fucking, it goes from like this amazing conversation with Elrond to him being humbled and realizing like, yes, my father is still here and I'm going to let my father know the error of my ways and my reactions and, you know, maybe I am a little too impulsive and maybe I do need to listen and then it, like his father (laughs) hears this and he's like, you know what, like, you don't have to wait for like the for the ancestors for, for me to to give you the wisdom and tell you that I'm proud of you. Like
3: I, I'm I'm telling you that now. It, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, I like how he kind of infers that even when they disagree, that that may even make the bond stronger. He may even respect him more when they're yeah. not always on the same page. Yeah. Wait.
2: When when uh, during the younger Duran first walked in that room and started talking and apologizing and the dad wasn't saying anything for a bit. Did anybody else worry that maybe the dad had passed? I thought he was dead he was, too. was too late. I didn't have that thought. No, I did.
0: I looked at him and I'm like, dude's not moving. I don't see him breathing.
2: Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it's going to crush him if after hearing this, he comes after in to find it was too speech. late. Yeah. 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 I was like, oh, that would be heartbreaking. But I mean, it would put him in a position to delve too greedily. King dying. I thought he was. I thought he was dead, man.
0: I thought he was dead. I was. I was relieved when he wasn't. Joe. Same. Same. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Dwarves can just be very still.
0: <laughs> and he starts to like ask his son some questions, and 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 he's he's. I think he's just impressed that he, that that uh, he can that he can finally talk to his son, and like his son's giving him some wise answers, you know, and he's agreeing with him. And he tell you know, he tells his father that Elrond has invited him to go to Linden. And King Durin says that Elrond has been pretty steadfast, that he has no ill intent upon his arrival. And and then King Duran asks him like, you know, what does his intention tell him? And he says that there's more at work here. And he's like, you know, you're smart to think that. So he's going to go. King Durin gives him permission to go to Linden to find out exactly what that is. And that is where our story ended with Elrond and Durin. And I'm telling you, like, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I think that the Elrond and Durin stuff. It's stuff like this. It's stuff like this, like the connection between the elf and the dwarf, the Elrond-Durin storyline that really connects me with the Jackson movies, the stuff that I really loved about the Jackson movies. And then just seeing like, oh my God, just seeing real like orcs and prosthetics and stuff. That's another thing that just really fucking works for me in this show. And so I'm really grateful for like, how much the aesthetic looks and feels like it is from the jackson movies so i i loved this episode this is another banger of a fucking episode for me i'm with you joe
2: yeah dude this is this is absolutely middle earth for me i i don't see any distinction and they they i think they they fit together very well so far and and i love everything about this the the costumes the locations the The cinematography and it the the effects are are just glorious um and the music the music for this is just so good mm-hmm. and you know in this this had such big shoes to fill coming in after the 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 Peter jackson movies and it's done such a good job of of shining shining in its own way in in setting its own new path without having to rely on really anything from that I mean I thought one of the mu- the music was going to be one of the hardest things to do because the music in those Peter Jackson movies is so iconic to me mm-hmm. and this is <laughs> this is I mean I was listening to this on Spotify today and and it's it's great it, it's fucking great I, it, and we're halfway through the season now and I think the next four weeks are going to just fly by and then it's going to be the long wait till season two and man I I I'm so excited that we're getting several seasons of this and we know that we're getting them up front because you know I, I, I think they're gonna continue to be good if this first season's any indication.
0: Bear McCreary is no slouch when it comes to to music. He did the oh, no. um the Walking Dead main title theme song, and then he's you know, done a lot of music for The Walking Dead. I most recently before this, he had been working with Kevin Smith on the you know, the uh He Man. Animated series on Netflix. I, I I think that Bear McCreary is just a, a fantastic guy. I'm glad that they got him to do like the, the music in the in the main episodes.
3: I've been a huge fan of his since he did the uh, Battlestar Galactica remake music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so different than what's going on here. So uh, this guy has just incredible range. I think it's kind of a bummer that he didn't get a cut his teeth on an opening theme song. Um, I, I know Howard Shore is such a legend, but... Man, that, you know, for a piece of music that's really only used for a bunch of swirling sand, it's uh, it's unfortunate that Bear didn't get to do that opening title sequence. Yeah. A lot of times that's the most memorable music from a show. Like people recognize a show from its title music and it's the one piece Bear didn't get to do. I'm still holding steadfast that Hal
0: Brand is Sauron and I am still holding steadfast that theo will be revealed to be the witch king that's where i'm at guys yeah i nice. can't argue
3: against it at all
2: no <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is all i have this episode any final thoughts i, I didn't want to leave anything out guys
1: you did a good job i think we it was a i think it was a great episode and i think even with not ton of action it really is setting up for there to be like you said some big set pieces coming forward
3: yeah definitely talking about it made me appreciate it a lot more than watching it a couple times um yeah i don't know i think i'm just uh teeth clenched for for some of the big happenings that are definitely coming
0: yeah we're still looking for um Looking for emails for people. I mean, if you have any theories about the show, please let us know. Send us an email. Uh, is it PCLOTRPod at gmail.com? Please send us an email. We'll read it on the next episode. And then uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at PCLOTR. And follow us there and you can talk to us there Interact with us there And I want to thank all the hosts this week uh, Jake and I do a show uh, Pop Culture Leftovers You can find that on iTunes Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen To your podcasts uh, We talk about uh, new movies And uh, television shows We review them and also go over the new news In TV and film We have a heavy focus on Marvel DC and Star Wars But uh, yeah, join Jake and I on Pop Culture Leftovers. Joe's on Pop Culture Leftovers quite a bit. Uh, When you're not on Pop Culture Leftovers, Joe, where can people find you?
2: Yeah, I also do a podcast called StartCast where I just have guests on and we just talk for a couple hours. Whatever comes up, comes up. Just kind of a long-form conversation type show. And I've also got a book called I Become Death that is available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. What is I Become Death about, Joe? <laughs> it's a, like a post-apocalyptic zombie story. A team of zombie hunters is tasked with escorting an assassin through uncleared territory to take out a warlord that is holding a town hostage.
0: And listen, people, you should be listening to Bear McCreary music and reading I Become Death. I'm telling you. It's the way to do it. <laughs> um, Yeah, Billy, when you're not on this show where can people find you and what are you talking about
1: so i am the host of a youtube channel called the reality guys so we cover everything and anything reality television with a nice skew towards comedy and not taking ourselves and the shows too seriously so we cover anything from the bachelor franchise survivor big brother amazing race any of the stuff on netflix like the circle Really, the challenge, if you could think about any kind of mainstream reality TV show, we're out there covering it. So, like I said, the reality guys on YouTube and any social media platform.
0: All right. Awesome. Yes, guys, thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. That way you can get new episodes dropped in your feed every week. And then if you have some time after that, leave us a review on iTunes And uh, I just want to thank everybody for listening. And we will see you next week for the untitled episode five. Got to think we're getting back to the Harfoots next week, guys. For sure. I I hope so. Oh, we know you do, Jake.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love me some Nori. Uh,
0: I'm I'm more of a Poppy Pappy fan. Oh, I like them both. I like like them both. both. (laughs) I do like them both. All right, guys. (laughs) We'll check in on Largo's foot next week. (laughs) can't wait see how largo's doing see you then guys later later bye say bye billy
1: goodbye